Chapters one, two, and three of Recollections of Napoleon at St. Helena by Elizabeth Balcomabel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One. There points the muse to stranger's eye, the graves of those that cannot die. My object in the following memoir is to confine myself as far as possible to what concerns Napoleon personally having however many reminiscences unconnected with him of the happy days of my childhood and feeling that they might be interesting to the public especially to those who visited the island during the emperor's captivity there i ventured to insert them a slight description of the localities connected with napoleon will not i trust be considered uninteresting to my readers and i may perhaps commence this slight memoir most properly by a few remarks upon the general aspect of st helena and of the impression conveyed by it on first approaching its shores the appearance of st helena on viewing it from the sea is different from that of any land i ever saw and is certainly but little calculated to make one fall in love with it at first sight the rock rising abruptly from the ocean with its oblong shape and perpendicular sides suggests to one's mind more the idea of a huge dark-coloured ark lying at anchor floating on the bosom of the atlantic than of a land intended for the habitation and support of living beings nor on a nearer acquaintance does its character become more amiable if a stranger approach it during the night the effect on coming on deck in the morning is most peculiar and at first almost alarming from the great depth of water ships are able to run very close in to the land and the eye long accustomed to the expanse of sea and atmosphere is suddenly startled by coming almost as it seems in contact with a dark threatening rock towering hundreds of feet into the air far above the mast of the tallest vessel i was quite a child at the time of my first visit and my terrors were increased by being told that the giant snouted crag which bore some resemblance to the head of a negro when the breakfast bell struck would devour me first and afterwards the rest of the passengers and crew i rushed instantly below and hiding my face on my mother's lap tremblingly announced our fate it was not without much difficulty that she succeeded in soothing my terrors by assurances of safety and protection but i did not venture from under her wing until the dreaded eight bells had sounded and the appearance of breakfast announced better things in store for us i was told that even the mighty heart of napoleon sank within him when he first surveyed his future home and as the northumberland glided to her anchorage revealing the galleries of the batteries on either side bristling with cannon and frowning heavily upon him the despairing inscription which the beautiful language of his infancy had rendered familiar to him seemed to have been inscribed on the gloomy rock lasciate ogni speranza voi entrate on rounding munden's battery jamestown breaks upon the view it is singular and striking and quite in harmony with the rest of the peculiar scenery of st helena the houses are all built at the bottom of a wide ravine which looks as if it had been caused by some great convulsion of nature or as if the rock tired of its solitary life and isolated situation in the midst of the atlantic had given a great yawn and had then been unable to close its mouth again the buildings are confined entirely to the bottom of this cleft or chasm as its sides are too precipitous to allow of houses being built on them the position of the town renders it sufficiently hot in summer the cool sea-breeze so delicious in all tropical climates is almost excluded by the situation of the valley as the inhabitants call jamestown and for nine months in the year the heat is almost unendurable 
we were fortunate enough to reside out of town my father possessing a beautiful little cottage called the briars about a mile and a quarter from the valley a spot meriting a slight description both from its intrinsic beauty and from having been the residence of napoleon during the first three months of his exile in st helena the way to the briars winds out of the town by roads cut in the side of the mountain i cannot say i saw much of this road or the surrounding scenery on my first journey to our distant abode i was on that occasion put into a basket and carried on a negro's head who trudged away with me very merrily singing some joyous air occasionally he put me down to rest and grinning from ear to ear asked me if i felt comfortable in my little nest i was rather frightened as this was the first time i had seen a black man but i soon reconciled myself to him and we became great friends he told me he generally carried vegetables into the valley and appeared highly honoured and proud that a living burden should have been confided to his care i was soon deposited in safety at the door of the briars and bade adieu to my sable bearer who went away quite delighted with some little present my father gave him for making himself so amiable to me our cottage was built in the style of the bungalows in india it was very low the rooms being chiefly on one floor and had it not been for its situation would not have been thought so pretty but surrounded as this verdant spot was by barren mountains it looked a perfect little paradise an eden blooming in the midst of desolation a beautiful avenue of banyan trees led up to it and either side was flanked by evergreen and gigantic lacos interspersed with pomegranate and myrtle and a profusion of large white roses much resembling our sweet briar from which indeed the place derived its name a walk shaded by pomegranate trees thirty or forty feet in height conducted to the garden i must plead the same excuse for devoting a few lines to the garden that i have to the cottage for it was lovely in itself and the favourite retreat of the emperor during his sojourn with us it would require the pen of a scot or the pencil of a clod to do anything like justice to its beauty i often wander in my dreams through its myrtle groves and the orange trees with their bright green leaves delicious blossoms and golden fruit seem again before me as they were in my blessed days of childhood every description of tropical fruit flourished here luxuriantly various species of vine citron orange fig shaddock guava mango all in endless profusion the produce of this garden alone which the family could not consume brought annually from five hundred to six hundred pounds nature as if jealous of the beauty of this enchanting spot had surrounded it on every side with impenetrable barriers on the east to speak geographically it was bounded by a precipice so steep as to render all approach impracticable the dark frowning mountain called peak hill rendered it inaccessible from the south to the westward it was protected by a cataract in itself a most picturesque and striking object i forget its height but its roar was very imposing to me and the volume of water must have been considerable in that hot climate it was a delightful next-door neighbour in the most sultry day one could hardly feel the heat oppressive when gazing on its cool and sparkling waters on the side nearest the cottage the defences of the garden were completed by an aloe and prickly pear hedge through which no living thing could penetrate the garden at the briars like the bright dreams and hopes of my own early youth is now withered and destroyed it was sold to the east india company by whom it was dug up and planted with mulberry trees which speedily became food for worms if i may be guilty of a conceit on to me a melancholy subject 
i believe the intended speculation proved unsuccessful two nay then farewell i've touched the highest point of all my greatness and from that full meridian of my glory i haste now to my setting i shall fall like a bright exhalation in the evening and no man see me more we had been living for years in this romantic and secluded glen when our little isle was suddenly frighted from its propriety by hearing that napoleon bonaparte was to be confined as a prisoner of state it was in october eighteen fifteen that this news first burst upon us we heard one morning an alarm-gun fired from ladder hill which was the signal that a vessel was in sight off the island the same evening two naval officers arrived at the briars one of whom was announced as captain d commanding the icarus man-of-war he requested to see my father having intelligence of importance to communicate to him on being conducted to him he informed him that napoleon bonaparte was on board the northumberland under the command of sir george cockburn and within a few days sail of the island the news of his escape from elba and the subsequent eventful campaign had of course not reached us and i remember well how amazed and incredulous they all seemed to be at the information captain d was obliged more than once to assure them of the correctness of his statement my own feeling at the intelligence was excessive terror and an undefined conviction that something awful would happen to us all though of what nature i hardly knew i glanced eagerly at my father and seeing his countenance calm i became more composed but still i listened to every word of captain d s detail as if my fate depended on what he was telling us the earliest idea i had of napoleon was that of a huge ogre or giant with one large flaming red eye in the middle of his forehead and long teeth protruding from his mouth with which he tore to pieces and devoured naughty little girls especially those who did not know their lessons i had rather grown out of this first opinion of napoleon but if less childish my terror of him was still hardly diminished the name of bonaparte was still associated in my mind with everything that was bad and horrible i had heard the most atrocious crimes imputed to him and if i had learned to consider him as a human being i yet still believed him to be the worst that had ever existed nor was i singular in these feelings they were participated by many much older and wiser than myself i might say perhaps by a majority of the english nation most of the newspapers of the day described him as a demon and all those of his own country who lived in england were of course his bitter enemies and from these two sources alone we formed our opinion of him it was not therefore without uneasiness that i saw my father depart a day or two afterwards to go on board the vessel which had just cast anchor in the bay the fleet consisted of the northumberland commanded by sir george cockburn to whose care napoleon had been confided the havana captain hamilton and several other men of war together with transports containing the fifty-third regiment we remained many hours in great anxiety at last my father returned from his visit in safety and we rushed out to question him as to what had occurred well papa have you seen him we exclaimed for we thought of no one but napoleon he told us he had not seen the emperor but had paid his respects to sir george cockburn and had been introduced to madame bertrand madame montelon and the rest of napoleon's suite he added that general bonaparte would land in the evening and was to remain for the present at the house of mr porteus until longwood which was intended for his ultimate residence should be ready for him 
we were so eager to see the illustrious exile that we determined to go in the evening to the valley to witness his disembarkation it was nearly dark when we arrived at the landing-place and shortly after a boat from the northumberland approached and we saw a figure step from it on the shore which we were told was the emperor but it was too dark to distinguish his features he walked up the lines between the admiral and general bertrand and enveloped as he was in his surtout i could see little but the occasional gleam of a diamond star which he wore on his heart the whole population of st helena had crowded to behold him and one could hardly have believed that it contained so many inhabitants the pressure became so great that it was with difficulty way could be made for him and the sentries were at last ordered to stand with fixed bayonets at the entrance from the lines to the town to prevent the multitude from pouring in napoleon was excessively provoked at the eagerness of the crowd to get a peep at him more particularly as he was received in silence though with respect i heard him afterwards say how much he had been annoyed at being followed and stared at comme une bête féroce we returned to the briars that night to talk and dream of napoleon three out of the fertile ground he caused to grow all trees of noblest kind for sight smell taste milton groves whose rich trees wept odorous gums and balm others whose fruit burnished with golden rind hung amiable hesperian fables true if true here only and of delicious taste milton the next morning we observed a large cavalcade moving along the path which wound round the mountain at the base of which our dear little cottage was lying almost hidden in its nest of leaves the effect of the party was very picturesque it consisted of five horsemen and we watched them with great interest as following the windings of the road they now gleamed in the sun's rays and were thrown into brilliant relief by the dark background behind and then disappearing we gazed earnestly until from some turn in the road they flashed again upon us sometimes we only saw a single white plume or the glitter of a weapon in the sun to my already excited fancy it suggested the idea of an enormous serpent with burnished scales occasionally showing himself as he crawled to our little abode we were still doubtful whether napoleon were of the party we had already learnt to look for the grey surtout and small cocked hat but no figure in that dress could be distinguished though our spy-glass was in anxious requisition every one thought he would be best able to discover him at last one of the party exclaimed i see a figure with a small cocked hat but no greatcoat and then we were at last certain that it was the emperor we concluded that he was on his way to longwood to look at his future residence about two o'clock on that day mr o'mara and dr warden called on us and were overwhelmed with all kinds of questions about bonaparte his manner appearance etc etc they described him as most agreeable and pleasing and assured us we should be delighted with him but all their fair words were thrown away upon me i could think of him only with fear and trembling when leaving us they again repeated that our opinion of napoleon would entirely change when we had once seen and conversed with him at four o'clock in the evening the same horsemen whom we had seen in the morning again appeared on their return from longwood as soon as they reached the head of the narrow pass which led down to the briars they halted and after apparently a short deliberation with terror i saw them begin to descend the mountain and approach our cottage i recollect feeling so dreadfully frightened that i wished to run and hide myself until they were gone but mamma desired me to stay 
and to remember and speak french as well as i could i had learned that language during a visit my father had paid to england some years before and as we had a french servant i had not lost what i had then acquired the party arrived at the gate and there being no carriage road they all dismounted excepting the emperor who was now fully visible he retained his seat and rode up the avenue his horse's feet cutting up the turf on our pretty lawn sir george cockburn walked on one side of his horse and general bertrand on the other how vividly i recollect my feelings of dread mingled with admiration as i now first looked upon him who i had learned to fear so much his appearance on horseback was noble and imposing the animal he rode was a superb one his colour jet black and as he proudly stepped up the avenue arching his neck and champing his bit i thought he looked worthy to be the bearer of him who was once the ruler of nearly the whole european world napoleon's position on horseback by adding height to his figure supplied all that was wanting to make me think him the most majestic person i had ever seen his dress was green and covered with orders and his saddle and housings were of crimson velvet richly embroidered with gold he alighted at our house and we all moved to the entrance to receive him sir george cockburn introduced us to him on a nearer approach napoleon contrasting as his shorter figure did with the noble height and aristocratic bearing of sir george cockburn lost something of the dignity which had so much struck me on first seeing him he was deadly pale and i thought his features though cold and immovable and somewhat stern were exceedingly beautiful he seated himself on one of our cottage chairs and after scanning our little apartment with his eagle glance he complimented mamma on the pretty situation of the briars when once he began to speak his fascinating smile and kind manner removed every vestige of the fear with which i had hitherto regarded him while he was talking to mamma i had an opportunity of scrutinizing his features which i did with the keenest interest and certainly i have never seen any one with so remarkable and striking a physiognomy the portraits of him give a good general idea of his features but his smile and the expression of his eye could not be transmitted to canvas and these constituted napoleon's chief charm his hair was dark brown and as fine and silky as a child's rather too much so indeed for a man as its very softness caused it to look thin his teeth were even but rather dark and i afterwards found that this arose from his constant habit of eating licorice of which he always kept a supply in his waistcoat pocket the emperor appeared much pleased with the briars and expressed a wish to remain there my father had offered sir george cockburn apartments at the cottage and he immediately assured us of his willingness to resign them to general bonaparte as the situation appeared to please him so much and it was arranged much apparently to napoleon's satisfaction that he should be our guest until his residence at longwood were fit to receive him our family at the time of the emperor's arrival consisted of my father my mother my elder sister myself and my two brothers who were quite children napoleon determined on not going down to the town again and wished his rooms to be got ready for him immediately some chairs were then brought out at his request upon the lawn and seating himself on one he desired me to take another which i did with a beating heart he then said you speak french i replied that i did and he asked me who had taught me i informed him and he put several questions to me about my studies and more particularly concerning geography he inquired the capitals of the different countries of europe what is the capitale of france paris of italy rome 
of russia petersburg now i replied moscow formerly on my saying this he turned abruptly round and fixing his piercing eyes full in my face he demanded sternly qui l'a brûlé when i saw the expression of his eye and heard his changed voice all my former terror of him returned and i was unable to utter a syllable i had often heard the burning of moscow talked of and had been present at discussions as to whether the french or russians were the authors of that dreadful conflagration i therefore feared to offend him by alluding to it he repeated the question and i stammered i do not know sir oui oui he replied laughing violently vous savez très bien c'est moi qui l'a brûlé on seeing him laugh i gained a little courage and said i believe sir the russians burnt it to get rid of the french he again laughed and seemed pleased to find that i knew anything about the matter the arrangements made for him were necessarily most hurried and while we were endeavouring to complete them in the way we thought most likely to contribute to his comfort he amused himself by walking about the grounds and garden in the evening he came into the house and as my father and mother spoke french with difficulty that language being then much less studied in england than it is at present he addressed himself again to me and asked me whether i liked music adding you are too young to play yourself i felt rather piqued at this and told him i could both sing and play he then asked me to sing and i sang as well as i could the scotch song ye banks and braes when i finished he said it was the prettiest english air he had ever heard i replied it was a scottish ballad not english and he remarked he thought it was too pretty to be english their music is vile the worst in the world he then inquired if i knew any french songs and among others vive henri quatre i said i did not he began to hum the air became abstracted and leaving his seat marched round the room keeping time to the song he was singing when he had done he asked me what i thought of it and i told him i did not like it at all for i could not make out the air in fact napoleon's voice was most unmusical nor do i think he had any ear for music for neither on this occasion nor in any of his subsequent attempts at singing could i ever discover what tune it was he was executing he was nevertheless a good judge of music if any englishwoman may say so after his sweeping denunciation of our claims to that science probably from having constantly listened to the best performers he expressed a great dislike to french music which he said was almost as bad as the english and that the italians were the only people who could produce an opera a lady a friend of ours who frequently visited us at the briars was extremely fond of italian singing which she loved indeed not wisely but too well for her own attempts in the bravura style were the most absurd burlesque imaginable napoleon however constantly asked her to sing and even listened with great politeness but when she was gone he often desired me to imitate her singing which i did as nearly as i could and it seemed to amuse him he used to shut his eyes and pretend he thought it was mrs our departed friend and then pay me gravely the same compliments he would have done to her the emperor retired for the night shortly after my little attempt to amuse him and thus terminated his first day at the briars End of chapters one two and three